You know, right, what we're going to do right now is uh, not just because we have to. Um, my heart needs to be fed. I've been feeding on, on this part of God's Word all week, and um, I hope God can use me right now to, to feed us. Um, we are in Luke's Gospel. We've made it to the end of chapter 18. If you have a Bible like mine, the kind of Bible that we pass out, it's on page 743. Not just to show honor, but also with a sense of anticipation, let's stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to start with, a blind beggar receives his sight. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting on the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked, what's going on? They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were around him rebuked him and told him to shut up. But that just caused him to shout all the more. Son of David, Messiah, King Jesus, Have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith, this is how it reads, has saved you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they too praised God. And then Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He too wanted to see Jesus. But being short, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him. When Jesus, going that way, reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once. And he welcomed welcomed Jesus with great joy. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter, he's gone to be a guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stood up and he said, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my money to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back him four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek and to save that was lost. And everybody said amen to that. You may be seated. I don't think I'm exaggerating right now when I say that all the major themes of, of Luke's gospel coalesce, I think, in this one story. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
That's what we heard this morning. That's, I think, the, the, the major theme of Luke's gospel. That Jesus came to this world to seek and to save the lost. And I think Luke's gospel has also shown us who the lost are. Who are they? They're the bankrupt. They're people who know they're bankrupt. Like this blind beggar. He's bankrupt. Like Zacchaeus. Yes, he's filthy rich, but he also knows he's a scumbag. He's bankrupt. And this is Jesus' mission to come to seek and to save the lost. And if that's his mission, how does he do it? Well, in Luke's gospel, as Jesus said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Through banquets. Hospitality. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your home today. We're going to eat together. And I want us to see this. That's why I'm highlighting this. The way Jesus unleashes his movement. He doesn't run projects. He doesn't create programs. He doesn't put on events. He eats meals. Because he's not about rules and rituals. He's about relationship. And who does Jesus eat with? Over. And over again, sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. He eats with the outlaws and the outcasts of his day. We have to see that. Luke wants us to see that. It's not the righteous Pharisee. It's, it, it's, it's not the all put together synagogue attending good people. It's the unrighteous prostitute in Luke 7. It's the despised Samaritan uh, in his parable. It's the prodigal. And, and now he shows up into Jericho and it's the same song and dance. Jesus is like this magnet to the outcasts and the outlaws of his day. Just boom. Just They're just attracted, they're drawn to him, and Jesus is drawn to them. And I want you to know, I want you to see this in verse 7 of chapter 19. Just just look there. And all the people saw this and did what? They began to mutter. Who are these people? Is it us? Because this is a question. I know we're just right now, I'm just wetting your appetite a little bit into this thing, but I'm also uh, wanting to dive into it fast. If Jesus is at the core of, of, of our family, of this community, I think we need to ask ourselves then, what kind of people are attracted to us and what kind of people are we attracted to? Do we look like Jesus? Are we attracting the same kind of people who Jesus attracted? And are we we repulsing the same kind of people who are repulsed by Jesus? I like it when we offend some people. Tells me we're probably a little bit like Jesus. 
And now I want to even get more personal, not just talking about us, but I want to talk about you. I want to talk about me. How do you see yourself right now? Do you see yourself as a self-respectable, all-put-together, mature, healthy Christian? Or do you see yourself as bankrupt? That apart from God, yeah, I'm a scumbag. Because Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the bankrupt, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he said to all the good, mature, uh, well-put-together religious people, he said, the scumbags and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. And that's a lot to think about. See, that's why we use the word gospel all the time. If you don't know what gospel means, it simply means good news. Who is the gospel good news to? Well, I'll tell you what, it's not good news to everybody. It wasn't good news last week to the rich young ruler who was devastated by it. Said he went away sad. But it's good news to the people in our story today. To the spiritually bankrupt, to the outlaws, to the outcasts, to the scum, scumbags of the world. Boy, are you kidding me? It's the best news there is. All right. I know. I almost preached the whole sermon, but let's get into this thing a little bit, okay? Uh, let's look at the text. First, I'm going to give you a little context here. Uh, you need to know that Passover in our story is just days away. And so what you have at Passover, I mean, this is their 4th of July on steroids times 10. You have, you have Jews from all over the world who are making their way to Jerusalem uh, for this week-long celebration. And uh, Josephus, the historian, tells us that Jerusalem itself, a city of 300,000 during the time of Jesus, became a, a city of 3 million for Passover. Uh, it, it's this huge just kind of camping out party. Jericho, I want to show you something. I don't know, did you guys get the PowerPoint? Okay, good, you guys can see this a little bit. Um, Okay, Ah, I wish it was clearer than that, but down there uh, where Herod's palace is, that's the outskirts of Jericho, um, going up that hill all the way to the top is Jerusalem. From Jericho to Jerusalem, we're talking 15 miles. Jericho is 800 uh, feet below sea level. Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. Now, this is what's very interesting. In just 15 miles, not only are you going completely downhill, you're going through a desert. Jerusalem gets about 30 inches of rain every year. Jericho, if they're lucky, gets four. The temperature can change as much as 20 degrees in 15 miles. So in Jesus' day, Jericho is a resort village. Jericho, the the name means uh, city of palms. It's Palm Springs. It's a resort, resort village. 
It's where the wealthy, it's, it's, it's where the, the, the wealthy people in Jerusalem, namely the, the elite priests, have their winter home where they can just get away from, from the cold. So, in fact, let me just show you the road from, uh, not incredibly clear, but that's the Jericho Road. You got 15 miles. You got the last leg now from Jericho to Jerusalem. That's where they sang the songs of ascent as they're making Aliyah, uh, the people knowing they're getting closer to Jerusalem and to Passover and its celebration. I mean, you just have to sense the, 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 the fervor that's in the air, the passion, the intensity. All these people, crowds. And Jesus makes his way, probably I can just picture it. Crowds of travelers. Imagine how they're flocking around Jesus. Is this the Messiah? What's he going to do? And Jesus gets to the outskirts of this city. If you want to learn who Jesus is, read the Gospels and look at his one-on-one encounters with people. You will learn so much about Jesus. In our text today, we have two. You have two guys who couldn't be more different. I mean, one of these guys is, is filthy rich, living the life of the rich and famous. The other is filthy poor, who lives the life of a beggar. One is an oppressor of the worst kind. The other is an oppressee. Jesus loved them both. Because underneath it all, the riches, the poverty, the being oppressor or being oppressee, these guys are the same. They're both outcasts. One's an outcast because of his poverty. Beggars in that day were considered to be cursed by God. The other is an outcast because of his riches. Tax collectors in that day were considered to be robbers and thieves. Benedict Arnold's. They were Jews who sold their soul to the devil. Rome. Now let's be honest right now. We all come in here with our facades. But underneath it all. We're all the same. We're no different. Apart from God, every single one of us is an outlaw, an outcast. Apart from the grace of God, every single one of us is a scumbag. See, some of you don't have the guts yet to admit that, and you spend your whole life kind of trying to dress yourself up so you can pretend you're, you're something else. You dress yourself up with your, your money. You dress yourself up with your successes. You dress yourself up with your spirituality. But here's the deal. You can't hide, especially with Jesus. And this is why the rich man last week went away sad and devastated because Jesus burst his bubble. Jesus exposed him. Jesus put his finger on on the thing that this man was lacking. And Jesus could do that to any one of us right now. He could come right on in. And if he did, 
I promise you, it would humble you. It would humiliate you. And for you, some of you, who, who would that make? Would that make some of you sad? To be humbled? For Jesus to put his finger on the thing that you're lacking in your life? For your flaws and your failures to be exposed? And see, this is one of the things that I think the whole uh, modern worship movement, where this longing to be in the presence of God, we've forgotten something. There's a side of being in the presence of God. Like Peter, when he first realized in Jesus he's in the presence of God, he says, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. Or Paul, when he comes on that Damascus road and comes in the presence of God in a moment, he goes from I, Paul, as to Torah, I perfected it, to I, Paul, chief of sinners. The Old Testament people, when they came into the presence of God, it was, woe is me. I'm ruined. That's what happens when you come into the presence of Jesus, when you have a real encounter with a real Christ. He'll humble us, humiliate us. But see, that's just one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is not only does it, is there something that, that, that ought to make us sad, but there's also, when we encounter Jesus, something that ought to just fill us. We want to just scream with the joy that's inside because not only does he humble and humiliate us, he exalts us. Why is Zacchaeus up in that tree? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Sang the song? Sometimes I wonder if some of the songs we sang too would be politically incorrect, but... It's not because he's short, you guys. Well, it is because he's short, but it's, there's a bigger reason. I mean, come on, wealthy people always get the front seats, right? And he's in the nosebleed section. He's an outcast. But even more than being an outcast, Zacchaeus is unclean. See, tax collectors in Jesus' day, were, were, they were forbidden from entering the community. They were forbidden from entering the synagogue. And even when it came to the temple, all they could do is go no further than the Gentile court. Because although they were Jews, the Jews considered these Jews to be no better than an unclean pagan. Do you want to know why they were unclean? These are the guys who had to handle money. Money in Jesus' day could not be touched by a religious person. Why not? It had an image on it. You shall have no graven images before me. So they took that to mean we can't touch money. It has the image of Caesar on it. So what religious people, namely the priests, they would hire these guys to do their dirty work, to handle their money so that they wouldn't have to touch it and be disqualified from serving in the temple. 
And if you don't think this is driving Jesus crazy when he sees the hypocrisy of all this, I don't even know if if, if Zacchaeus is a dirty, scum, liar, cheater, thief. He could just be the guy who's been hired to touch all the money. Jesus makes his way to this town. And he finds the town's biggest scumbag. And he pushes his way to the crowd. And he makes his way to Zacchaeus. And he says, buddy, I'm coming to your house today. Come on down. Let's go. It's so Jesus. And when Jesus says that I want to come into your house, that is a big deal in that culture. Apollos understand it. You're, you're Bedouin, right? To invite someone into your, your house, your community, your, your tent. It's, it's saying to that person, I want relationship with you. I want to come into your life. I want you to come into my life. Can you imagine what Zacchaeus is experiencing in this moment? His, his whole adult life, he's been ostracized. He's been, he's been rejected. And now, not just anyone, but Messiah Jesus comes up to him. I pick you, man. You. I want relationship with you. And the text even lets us see he's like a little kid. He gets down from that tree as fast as he can. It says he received Jesus with great joy. That's the joy. See, when you know apart from God and his grace that you're a scumbag, and he comes to you, and he pursues you, and he says, I want relationship with you, that's joy. Joy. Then they're walking to Zacchaeus' house. And Jesus utters what I think is the most powerful thing to ever come out of his mouth. He says, and he's not saying it just to Zacchaeus. He is shouting it to the crowd. I can, I know. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Well, that's an obscure statement to us. Every Jew knew exactly the text of Scripture that Jesus just quoted. I mean, it was just oozing with this messianic hope. Does anybody know? Why don't we know this? Now listen, I'm not trying to shame anyone, but is it just because it's in the Old Testament and we don't need to know that anymore? How are we going to know Jesus if we don't know Ezekiel 34? 
You don't have to go to Ezekiel 34 right now because I'm going to give you my paraphrase of of Ezekiel 34. This is God speaking. God says, you leaders of my people, you shepherds of my flock, you've scattered the flock. You've trampled the grass so my sheep can't eat. You've muddied the water so my sheep can't drink. You've scattered the lambs all over the hillside so they're devoured by wolves. And you have not searched them out or found them. And because you, shepherds of Israel, will not care for my flock, I will destroy you, declares the Lord Almighty. And I myself will become the shepherd, and I will seek and save the lost. What did that crowd just hear Jesus say about himself? They just heard him say, wow. He just said he was God. I myself will become the shepherd and I will seek and save the lost. I'm telling you, Jesus is calling himself God all the time. This is why he's going to be crucified in a couple of days. What did the crowd hear Jesus say about the religious leaders? He just indicted them. How dare you guys put this man up in a tree? This is one of God's sheep. This is a child of Abraham. How dare you do that to one of God's sheep? Hey, do we do that? Because of anything that we think and anything that we do and, 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 and anything that we say, are we putting people up in a tree today? Are we keeping people from Jesus? Are we pushing them away from Jesus? Are there things in, 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 in who we are? How dare we? How dare we? God loves them. What did Zacchaeus hear Jesus say? Hey, Zacchaeus, you are lost, man. But no one's outside the reach of God. You're a sheep. God loves you. And he wants you back. It's time to come home. It's my guess when, it's, when, when, when Zacchaeus heard that, he started to cry like a baby. You mean I'm not a goat? I'm a sheep? Let's go to your house today, Zacchaeus. God loves you. I love then what Zacchaeus does. I mean, he's probably this whole time looking around like, is there anyone else in this tree that he's talking to? Like, he's really talking. You're talking to me, Jesus? Yeah, I'm talking to you, man. And you can sense he just gets down that tree so fast. And as they're walking, um, and after Jesus says this, it just, it, all of a sudden, life change goes on in his heart. 
And he, he says, look, Lord, here and now I give half my money to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times. In fact, if you know anything about the Torah, he goes way past what's required about him because it's no longer about a rule or a law. His heart's changed. I love it when he says to Jesus, look, Lord, look. Do you see? It's like he's a little kid. Look, Daddy. I delight in you. Do you see how much I delight in you? And you know what I love about this? If you were here last week, because that story of the rich young ruler happened just hours before this. Jesus says it's impossible for the rich man to enter the king, kingdom of heaven, and now Jesus does what only God can do. And look at verse 9. Today salvation has come to this man's house. In fact, if you know the original language, that's just a play on words because the word salvation in Hebrew is what? Does anybody know? Yeshua. Today, Yeshua, salvation has come to this man's house because when Jesus, salvation comes in and makes a home in a sinner's heart, that heart and life are forever changed. I mean, just think about money. An idol that probably once consumed Zacchaeus' life now longer has any power in his life because his heart is set free from the love of money. No longer does he have to run after money, having his life controlled by money, because now money has just become money. No longer does he need money as his sense of worth and significance and all of that. He has this all now in the love and grace and acceptance of Christ. Now because these two stories of the, of the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus happened so close together, Literally, they happened on the same day. You have to ask, why does one whose encounter with Jesus leave that one sad? And why does the other leave that person just changed and filled with joy? What's the difference? I'll cut right through it. It's why some of you are going to leave sad today. And it's why some of you are going to just be like, yeah. That rich young ruler was too proud. He was too proud to admit that apart from God, he too was a scumbag. And therefore, he never experienced the grace and the acceptance of Jesus. Because for him, it, it, it has to be all about him. It has to be about his being good and his rule keeping and all of that. And he couldn't get down from his high horse. He couldn't let go of his self-righteous, self-exalting, self-efforts at self-salvation. And I'm telling you, if that's you today, it will kill you. And it will leave you very sad. And someday you'll be in a place of despair. 
But see, for a guy like Zacchaeus, being told he's a scumbag, it just doesn't devastate him because he knows he's a scumbag. Everybody knows he's a scumbag. But when Jesus then singles him out and walks right up to him and says, Zacchaeus, I pick you because I love you. That's gospel. It sets a heart free. Are you too proud today? Has your heart really been changed? Are you you a, a rich young ruler or are you a Zacchaeus? And here's the question I want to end with. How does a rich young ruler become a Zacchaeus? That rich young ruler didn't have to be sad. That rich young ruler could have found the same joy that Zacchaeus found. What's What needs to happen in the rich young ruler's uh, life and heart? He needs to see Jesus. I mean, like Zacchaeus, think about it. This grown man literally climbed a tree, especially in that culture. No dignified man would ever just climb a tree in public like that because to, to, to see, that's what kids do. But there he is, despised and rejected. Up in that tree. And you know that just days after this, Jesus is going to be despised and rejected, hanging on a tree. Because Jesus came to this world to take everything that we scumbags deserve, and He took it all upon Himself. So that we get everything that Jesus deserved. And that's the gospel. You have to see it. You have to see Jesus. You have to see who he is. You you have to see not only that he loves sinners, but how he saves sinners. Then finally, you need to come to him like the beggar at the beginning of our story. I mean, Jesus is approaching Jericho. And this beggar is so desperate to get to Jesus. He shouts with all his might, Jesus, Jesus, son of David. That's the equivalent of saying Messiah, Jesus, king of kings, Lord of lords. Have mercy on me. And the people try to silence him. They try to shut him up. You're probably saying, dude, you're, you're embarrassing this town. Just, just be quiet. But it only causes him to cry out more loudly. He's not going to stop crying until Jesus hears him. When's the last time you wanted Jesus this badly? When you threw all your pride out the window. You stopped caring about what other people think. King Jesus, King Jesus, have, have mercy on me. My favorite part of that story are these two words. Jesus is walking along. Jesus stopped. Nothing stops Jesus. The wind, the waves don't stop Jesus. Uh, The demons don't stop Jesus. The powers and principalities, the Herods, the Caesars don't stop Jesus. But the cry of one desperate man stops him right dead in his tracks.
Jesus loves desperation. He doesn't care about our moral report card. He doesn't care about us going to church. He wants to see us desperate for him. Yes, God is seeking you with everything he has, but we need to seek him like this beggar with everything we have. Get to him if you don't know him. All you good people in this room who've been trusting yourself and dressing yourself up, get desperate. Get to Jesus. Let's pray. And God, I know there's a lot of desperation in this room right now. And God, may we have a real encounter with you that would show us how desperate we really are for you. And even if that needs to humble us and and, and humiliate us, God, we know in the end that encountering you will exalt us to the highest place, to your right hand, or seated with you in the heavenlies. So God, right now is where your Holy Spirit has to take over. I pray that your Holy Spirit move in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.